What's up, fellow fantasy nerds? Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And on the table for discussion today is, of course, part two of Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings, The Illuminating Storms. That means we're talking today about, first off, the three interludes that we didn't dive into last week, as well as chapters 12 through 28. So, Andrew McCaffrey, my man, if you'd be so (laughs) kind, give us our weekly recap, would you? Sounds good. So, picking up with these three interludes, we start off with a man named Ishik, who lives in the Pewer Lake and is out doing his, uh, his fishing, because that's his deal. But he's also apparently been tasked by some foreigners to keep an eye out for a certain person. And he's returning, you know, back to the village where these, uh, these foreigners are, are hunkered down, and they ask him for an update, and he says, look, I haven't heard anything about this Hoyd guy. You know, and they're like, well, he doesn't always go by that name. He goes, yeah, yeah, I checked all the other names you gave me, and yeah, I couldn't find anything about him. And uh, and and so the, the foreigners leave frustrated, and Ishik kind of at the end decides, you know, oh, maybe, maybe I'll marry this, uh, this woman who runs the, the little restaurant in this town. The second interlude follows Nanbalat, Shalon Devar's brother, who is a, a, bit of, a, a bit of a troubled young man. He's, he's got some sadistic tendencies. He enjoys torturing and yeah. killing animals, you can say specifically that. small animals. Uh, for anybody who's... Oh, no, you know what? I'm not going to say because that's a spoiler. Um, if you've read Ender's Game, you'll be oh. reminded of another character. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, uh, Nanbalat is, is kind of just... Our, our look into the rest of Shalon's family as he's kind of struggling with his own demons and considering how much their family is broken. And then we go to Zeph, the character that we uh, followed for the prologue. He's back, and now he's just been passed around from master to master. Uh, You know, just people are unsettled by him. Nobody's keeping him for very long. We find out that he has hidden away the strange gemstone that he got from Gavilar and uh, yeah so at the end of this one he's uh, he changes masters again as you know his his current master is telling you know tall tales and and they get mugged in the street his current master's killed and he you know ends up in the hands of one of these thugs that's where we leave off with the interludes but part two picks up with new point of view characters, Dalinar Colin and his son Adelin. They are out on the Shattered Plains. Dalinar is one of the ten high princes of Alethkar. They are prosecuting their war against the Parshendi for killing Gavilar back at the you know at the beginning of the book in the prologue. And uh, and Dalinar was once a mighty mighty warrior who seems to have fallen on some troubling times. Uh, he's dealing with the the contempt and scorn of the other high princes because they think he's lost his edge, and he's also dealing with some visions that strike every high storm, and he's not sure if he's going crazy or if there's some deeper meaning here. And Adolin is uh, also struggling with his father's kind of inconsistencies and 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 troubles, and kind of confronts him about it and at the end of this part Dalinar decides you know what I'm gonna step down and 
Adolin, my son, is going to be the new High Prince. But we also have Kaladin points of view. No Shalon this time, but we do have Kaladin. We still have Kaladin. After he decided not to leap into the Honor Chasm, he returned to Bridge 4. And as bridge leader now, he is working on kind of uniting them and, and getting them to work like a team and, and have hope again. And it's a, it's a long struggle of a process, but by the end of this, it, he's starting to turn a few of them. Rock and, and uh, Teft have come around a little bit, and, and at the end, Rock makes a big you know, horn eater stew, and they, they get a couple of the bridgemen to come out and eat mm. with them and, and have a good night. Yeah, Dunny too. Dunny's just starting to come around as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, lots happening in part two of Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. You know, uh, <clears throat> jumping straight into style, I want to do something that we didn't do last week. I don't think we did last week. I can't remember last week, surprisingly enough. And, and I want to talk a bit about how this book is structured. Because Sanderson is yes. an author that relies pretty heavily on dividing his narrative into distinct parts rather than trying to weave this sort of even gradient, if you want to call it that, across all of his pacing, which obviously for Sanderson very clearly works. I mean, smaller novels, if you could still call these ones small at all, like Elantris, Warbreaker, Mistborn, these could be, if you wanted to, I'm sure they could be single-part uniform narratives if you wanted to do that. Um, but with The Way of Kings... There is really no other way to tackle it, is there? Like, we have such an enormous story here with so many characters getting entire arcs of their own. Part one of The Way of Kings belonged to Kaladin and Shallan. And in part two, we have Kaladin and Dalinar. Like, as you know, this is obviously Kaladin's book. We're going to see him pretty regularly throughout the whole thing. But edging out Shallan Devar for now is Dalinar Kulin. Right? How do you and feel about Adam. Dalinar? Sorry, go ahead. In Adeline, yeah, we get some from Adeline too, but for, I don't know, for me, it, like, all of Adeline's viewpoints kind of get overshadowed by Dalinar, just because I'm such a huge Dalinar fan. Yeah, I, I do like Dalinar. Um, he is mostly an engaging uh, read, though I admit this part, I don't love reading about Dalinar and Adeline. I'm... I'm frustrated. I, I, and I think that's that's something Brandon did on purpose uh, with the way he structured this. Where we we already had part one, where where Shalon and Kaladin's arcs are starting, and Sh and uh, sorry, uh, Kaladin kind of hits a, a tipping point at the end of part one, and so yeah, in part does, yeah. two, he's he's kind of a really active character, where where he's he's gotten into his, you know, his plot uh, arc into his character development ways. But then Adeline and Dalinar, this is the start of them. And so we kind of have to retread a lot of this, uh, the same kind of thematic ground that we already you know, went over with Kaladin and Shallan in part one. And, and so reading their chapters in this was a little frustrating for me. Uh, I was mostly engaged with Kaladin's. And, and you know, this is something, you know, you brought it up. Brandon Sanderson takes a very structured approach to writing his books. He's uh, notorious uh, for being an outliner, for being a planner or an architect, as, as some say, uh, in, in terms of what kind of a writer people are. You can get, you know, like architects and gardeners and, you know, a, a writer like George R. R. Martin or Patrick Rothfuss, they are famous for being gardeners. They don't meticulously 
detail out every step of the way and then write the story around that. They kind of have uh, an end goal in sight and then a beginning, and then they write and let the story grow out of that and then try to prune and guide it toward that original end goal. And sometimes it ends up somewhere entirely different. That doesn't happen with Brandon Sanderson because he he has very solid outlines. I mean, we, we, we saw him talk about before writing The Rhythm of War how before he could write that book, he needed to outline not only Rhythm of War, but also the fifth Stormlight book. You know, he's he's got a very structured approach to it and a lot of people criticize him for that a lot of people don't like it they they say it feels like a paint by numbers story or, feels or something like that perhaps i don't agree with i don't that, but i can see yeah the validity of a concern yeah i i don't agree with that particular criticism but it is it is true that there is a uh, a uniform kind of structure to his stories uh usually within series you know, like a Stormlight Archive book is not structured the same way as a Mistborn book, and a Mistborn book is not structured the same way as a Reckoner's book or, or Skyward, you know, one of those. And so here, you know, this is our first Stormlight book, and we're seeing this structure, I think this is the most meticulously structured of all of his series. Hmm. Uh, we're seeing it come out now that we've gotten the interludes and into part two, where, where there are conscious choices of uh, point of view characters you don't just get like a random Shallan chapter thrown in there it's like no no part two is Kaladin Dalinar Adolin and then between part one and part two we have three interludes two of them serve as basically one-off short stories in the world to give flavor and some greater context to things happening away from our main characters and then the third one is part of an ongoing narrative that will ultimately form what is a, a novella within this novel. Right, because it links back to the Zeph. prologue as well yes. with our with our characters, yes, Sansan Volano. Yeah, and uh, and and so this is the same structure that he uses for each Stormlight book, and I appreciate it personally. I really like this particular style in approaching a giant freaking fantasy book. Like this is a. I think this is a 394,000 word book. I think it's more, it's, actually. I'm pretty sure it's over 400, isn't it? Uh, I believe Way of Kings is under 400. Uh, Words of Radiance is like 402 or something like that. No, um, surely. Yeah, it's... Um, 425,000 words for the Way of Kings. No. No, yeah, bro. That's, that is not right. Yeah. Uh, that was... That's in his uh, early draft. Oh, okay, because I'm looking at BrandonSanderson.com right now. Thoughts on the Way of Kings. Okay, hang so, on. So, Coppermind Way of Kings statistical analysis has... Pretty sure words of radiance 384,265 words. That's it? For Way of Kings. It's shorter than, than The I'm, Shadow Rising? Uh, yes. I am Holy guessing crap. that does not include epigraphs or the Ars Arcanum, though. Ah, um, and then, and then, words of radiance. They have three hundred ninety-eight thousand two eighty uh, two thirty-eight. And I'm again, I'm guessing it doesn't include the Ars Arcanum and the epigraphs, because I know that was like you know a little more. And then Oathbringers four hundred fifty-four thousand. And Brandon recently uh, mentioned that the the what is going to be the <laughs> final draft of um, 
of uh, Rhythm of War is about 460,000 words. I can't so believe how... So it is even how, longer than Oathbringer. How is he going to crank out anything <laughs> longer than Oathbringer? How? Yeah. Uh, but, but so what I'm saying with the books of this insane size, when you see Gardner writers, Pantser writers, as, you, as, as some people call them, write books this size and series of this size, they tend to get out of control. We saw it happen with The Wheel of Time. We saw it happen with A Song of Ice and Fire. We saw it happen with The Kingkiller Chronicle. You know, but Brandon was uh, determined not to fall into the same traps. And so he takes a different approach to writing this series where he has very specific uh, uh, structures and outlines prepared so that when he sits down to write the book, he knows that like, it's not just going to run away from him and he's going to lose track of the plot and he's going to end up getting caught up in all these side quests and things like that. Uh, he's not going to have any Mirini's knots, so to speak. Uh, and, and we see it from the get-go in The Way of Kings. This is a, a very hard-lined, structured book. There's still something to be said, though, about allowing oneself to creatively breathe while they are writing. I'm sure that Sanderson isn't just like... Uh, planning every meticulous detail out in his outlines and then just strictly and rigidly following that outline as he writes. There's still, as, as you know, is expected, there's still a whole year, year and a half long process during which the, the various drafts of this novel are written. And during that time, of course, somebody with the brain of someone like Brandon Sanderson, they're going to have more ideas. And they're going to want to try and fit these ideas into their narrative somehow. So I think that has something to do with the fact that we are still, despite the fact that Brandon has obviously planned a lot and outlined and structured a lot, we're still seeing increasing book sizes. And I think that's just a result. I don't want to say it's yeah. just a result, but I definitely think it has something to do with the fact that he's still creative. He's still, want, he's still thinking of new things as he's writing these books. Yes, uh, I mean you can you can just see with how transparent an author he is, where he talks about his writing processes and things like that. You know, Oathbringer, for instance, uh, his third draft of that book was something like five hundred and twenty thousand words. Yeah. the published yeah. version was four hundred and fifty-four thousand. You know, so he he does have the story change. You know, evolve as he's writing it, but it's evolving within bounds. And when he's revising, he's revising within bounds. It's not like the Stormlight Archive isn't going to see uh, a shift like the Wheel of Time, where it was originally, you know, sold for six books and it became 14, and the Stormlight Archive was sold for 10 books. It's not going to suddenly become like 17 books or something like that, because of the way he plotted it, the way he outlined it, and the way he uses structure as a thematic focus in it, the number 10 is extremely important in the Stormlight Archive. It's mm. going to be a 10-book series. Each book, each of the 10 books will have a focus on each of 10 characters, you know, or, or at least flashbacks. And each book will have a, a thematic focus on each of 10 Orders of the Night's Radiant. You know, like, there there are things that he built into the plan of this series to prevent it from bloating and, and getting away from him. Yeah, yeah, he has to give his creativity uh, the ability to, to roam a little bit. He's walking along the path with this kind of excitable pit bull that is everything he wants to write, but he still has it on a leash. It can, it can deviate a little bit, but it's not going to get too far out of hand, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, he, he has some some creative flexibility within each volume, but the overall structure of the series is almost certainly going to remain unchanged. Yeah, yeah. And it's still worth noting that, you know, we get a, a tiny, 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 almost glimpse of Shallan in this part. He's still reminding us that Shallan is there because there's this conversation that Dalinar has with Yasna via Spanreed mm-hmm. when, when Yasna's back in Carbranth, and we see Shallan, we know it's Shallan sketching for her, right? Mm-hmm. He's still reminding you Shallan is there. He doesn't want you to forget about Shallan. But he still needs to keep the, the reader's focus on Dalinar, on Adolin, on Kaladin. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, I want to talk about the, the epigraphs as well, since we're in style. But I really can't in this particular part. I really can't until we take off our Cosmere-wide spoiler gloves. So. Yeah, because this is when... I mean, this is the most Cosmere-aware this book gets. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to go into characters myself, though. Is there anything else about his style for the for the second part you want to get out of the way before we do? No, I don't think so. Okay, okay. So going into Kaladin, still going into Kaladin, our main character here. Um, I'm actually starting off, starting off with a quote this week. The morning after his decision in the high storm, Kaladin made certain to arise before the others. He threw off his blanket and strode through the room full of blanketed lumps. He didn't feel excited, but he did feel resolute determined to fight again he began that fight by throwing the door open to the sunlight and of course we have these groans and these curses from the bridgemen around him i love that line though he began that fight by throwing the door open to the sunlight i don't know why there's something about those words he began that fight by doing x whatever x may be there's some part of me that really enjoys being able to distinguish parts of a character's journey by very specific actions, very specific moments or revelations even that they have. It it might be some primitive part of my human brain that likes to find order in chaos, differentiating things, compartmentalization. But this line for me, as I imagine it does with many others, it marks a very distinct beginning. And it, it might be because of the context I have as a repeat reader who knows precisely where this is going to be going in the future. But there's still something so aesthetically pleasing that I find about this moment. And if I were writing some high school paper where I had to spin some bullshit about some greater meaning, I'd say that, that opening that door is a metaphor. It symbolizes Kaladin not making that decision because he's already made the decision, but formally acting upon the decision to fight back and taking that first step down this new path. And it's really, it's just, it's so fitting. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I I like it. That's a very uh, you know high school English teacher kind of thing to say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, so it, then, what does the color blue on Dalinar's uniform symbolize? Well, the color <laughs> blue. Oh God. I bet I could write a two thousand word essay on that if I needed to. I still remember those high school days. Oh yeah. Actually, oh, yeah. believe it or not, look at this. My words for them on my notes and my Scrivener file here for this words one thousand nine hundred thirty nine. I did write a two thousand word essay for this part of the book. Well, well, well it's not obviously, an essay. Full points. You know, Sadius uh, has green in his colors, but Sadius that. himself wears red shard plate. Right. So I keep forgetting what, what that Sadius that symbolizes, is green and white. What that symbolizes is green is obviously the color of envy, and, uh, mm. and but, but Sadius himself has a, a, a particularly hateful, um, you know, uh, uh, approach toward his envy. No, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was wondering to see how long you could keep that train going for the momentum there. 
Feel free to use that um, one for your uh, your project there, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a high school student listening to this, you have an important yeah, English yeah. paper coming up. No, don't do not do that. Hey, if you're a high school student listening to this and you're actually allowed to write a paper on the Way of Kings, you are the luckiest high school student ever. <laughs> yeah, it depends on your on your on your uh, definition of luckiest though, because you know a lot of my high school friends didn't like to read at all. So you throw a book at them that could, you know, knock out a rhinoceros, something no, this I'm, size. I'm saying if you're allowed to, not if you're forced to. If you're allowed to. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I had, okay. I had many many English teachers and professors even into college who would refuse to let you do any kind of analytical paper on a genre book. You know what? I actually managed to bring a passage from The Way of Kings into my creative writing class at, at Fanshawe College uh, back in 2014. I'll actually be talking mm. about that one today because that passage happens right here I'm in part two. I'm pretty sure I know what passage that is. It's, it's I'm pretty the... sure you know what passage it is, too, yeah. because you know me well enough. I've probably referenced this passage enough times. I can quote this passage. I will hold my hands over my eyes and quote it just to prove that I can do this word for word. But let's jump back into Kaladin here. Yes. Uh, I thought it was really it was really satisfying to see Kaladin get the opportunity to disarm and smack down that apothecary. After seeing so much of the wretch, and we're going to use a captain in there, the, the wretch with a capital W, we, we being we as an audience, we're craving more and more of this confident bridge leader. Not to mention, I imagine it's probably a very, it's very easy to write a fun scene in which a grizzled old man gets his feeling of entitlement and predisposition of assumption about younger people get flung back in his face. Yep. This scene, it itches both those scratches, and scenes like this serve to really give us that foundation upon with which we can stand to root for Kaladin. I love it. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of Kaladin's sort of uh, character interaction in this part is predicated on destroying other people's expectations for him. Uh -huh. uh, not just with the apothecary, but with the members of Bridge Four. You know, it's uh, getting Rock on his side by showing that he cares and that he'll work to save them. Um, the the chasm kata. When he ah. has Sigzil and Moash talking about, you know, how yes. he's a liar and he's probably never held a spear in his life before. And then he does this crazy advanced kata with Sil flying around, interweaving his motions and, oh, and just shuts so everybody good. up. You know, so we, we have these scenes where people bring in expectations about Kaladin and he shows them, I am more than you think I am. I'm not just a bridge man. I'm a surgeon. I'm not just a, a slave. I'm a soldier. You know, I and and even even with himself, this is him. The the theme of this part is him coming away from that chasm and leaving the wretch behind and saying, "I am not just a wretch; I can be a leader." Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that scene so much. That's I. <laughs> I'll just come out and say it right now. That scene is going to make one of my top three favorite scenes for this book. When we get to part five, I will be bringing up this scene. I'm pretty sure I'll be bringing up this scene. Uh, which which scene? The, the the chasm kata. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I have enough. it open right here in front of me. I was gonna I was gonna quote it for today, but since you brought it up, I'll leave it there. But it's open right here in front of me I, in my I book. I can't the, promise, but I as I reread that scene, I was like, ooh, this this might go in my top yeah, three. Yeah, I, I have the paperback open right here, page three ninety eight. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, so good. And you know, 
we have flashbacks, and I was going to ask you a little bit about this. Maybe this could have been for our style discussion. I don't know. But I feel like we, we, we adequately discussed the style enough. I'll still bring this up here in Kaladin's viewpoints, uh, or in Kaladin's character discussion, though. We, we don't... First off, we have three uh, flashbacks for Kaladin. We have the one where he fights Jost, um, mm-hmm. and he discovers that he wants to be a soldier. We have one where... Uh, the, the, the flashback where Kaladin decides, or discovers that Roshon has... Oh, Roshon, listen to me. That Wistio, the, the Bright Lord of, of Hearthstone, has died, and he's left Kaladin all this money, apparently, supposedly. That's, that's the same as when... Is it the fights. same one? Yeah, because right at the end, but we have three Lero flashbacks. Leaves. What's the third one, then? Right at the end, Lero leaves, because uh, Kaladin thinks that oh, he would come over oh my and God. Him, and then when he goes right. back there... The like, second yeah. one is where he tries to save the little girl. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. He tries no, to save the little... The... Oh, yes, yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, he tries then... to save the little girl. Liren tells him, it gives him that lesson that you have to learn when to care and when to let go. And the third one has the arrival of Roshon. That's the third Kaladin viewpoint that we have, or flashback, I should say, in this particular part. But they're not separated at all. There's nothing really okay, so, so the first one is Cocoons, and okay. that is where... Kaladin fights Jost, right? Yes. And Lairol then... kind of just like, yeah, yeah, snooty teenage girl just abandoned in there. And then there, yeah. Scarlet is when he fails to save the girl. It's very mm-hmm. short. And the third one is The Butcher, where he overhears the women gossiping. And he's talking to his mother. Yes. And his mother, and Hesina, has that brilliant line that I love so much when she at, when, when Kaladin says to her, well, so-and-so was saying that father does this and that. And she goes, oh, and what do you think of so-and-so? Well, well she's an idiot. And she doesn't know what she's talking about. And Hesina <sighs> just tells him, well, then if you want to emulate that behavior, go right ahead. And yeah, she, it's because he like, uses ah. the word ain't. He says, like, it ain't natural. Ah, and she's like, yeah, it's natural. You know, and he's I, like, well, that's what... Like, why can't I talk like the rest of them? She's that's like, well, what, what it was. Think about the rest of them. That's like, what it ignorant. was. <laughs> it's becoming more and more apparent, I think, that I actually didn't read part two for this <laughs> for this episode. I'm just going off memory, and I just very quickly read the summaries for those particular chapters. I have oh, read wow. this book so many damn times. So, yeah, this is... I can't remember if I mentioned this the last Oh, yeah, you should. This will be my... Third? Fourth? Fourth full read of the way of kings but i did just read a significant chunk i I read all of part one and a significant chunk of part two and then all of part four and five for the way of kings leatherbound gamma it earlier this year so this is very fresh for me okay i've read this book basically i've read this book twice in in eight months so see i find myself uh, a little bit opposite uh i've read this book i mean i I usually mention these kinds of things i'm talking about a sanderson book as somebody who works you know who works on average 40 to 66 hours a week as a welder and who has the opportunity to listen to audiobooks and is such a huge sanderson fan as i am this is pro if i god if i were to guess this is gonna this is probably my 20th 25th time going through the way of kings but i haven't done so in about a year and a half maybe two years when it uh oathbringer when was oathbringer released? oh my god that was 2017 three years yeah a little little oh god it's been three years since i read this book yeah 
<laughs> oh my book. Oh, so that I had the opposite problem. I've read it a million times. It's just been a long time since I've done so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, still going on Kaladin like there. We have three the flashbacks. <laughs> Did you realize, you probably have realized, you being astute as you are, Drew, there are no chapter epigraphs in Kaladin's viewpoint, in his flashbacks, I mean, not his viewpoints, his flashbacks. Yes. In either one, of these fa uh, either one of these three flashbacks, I should say either one then, but any of these three flashbacks, none of them have a chapter mm -hmm. epigraph. And I, I think believe... that goes to serve... Sorry, go ahead. I, I was to say, I believe that is the case with all flashbacks in the Stormlight Archive. Is it? With the possible exception of one. Uh, and I, I would have to double check. I think there's one flashback chapter that does. Um, but I, I'm not sure if I'm remembering that you know, correctly. I think not. that goes to serve, uh, goes, goes to prove a little more of what I was about to say next. I, I think this serves just the simple purpose of not losing our reader in in the past he has to make sure uh he being brandon sanderson of course he has to make sure that the epigraphs still feel imminent they feel immediate they feel dangerous um they 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 serve currently what is happening in in the narrative not what's happening in the past and so i think leaving out those epigraphs on flashbacks that happened years and years before is a, is a good move I just didn't notice it until this read. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that pretty much wraps up everything I had to say about Kaladin for the first, for the first, for the second fifth of the Stormlight Archive. Oh, I, I have a, I have a oh, little God damn to it. talk about with Kaladin. The Way of Kings. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. The second fifth of the... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But no, one of the things I really appreciate with Kaladin in this part, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier when I said he's very active. Mm. Um, it, it, but not only is he active, but this is some of the best character work that Brandon does as he is slowly doling out personality to the bridgemen around Kaladin. He doesn't throw you directly like into the, the deep end with like one scene where ten of the bridgemen get like one identifying marker and that it's like okay that's how you have to know them he takes the time to say okay first we're going to explore rock and then we're going to explore moash and then we're going to explore yep. teft and then we're going to you know like and so he does it in in such a way that it it grants kind of a, a validity to each of these characters they're not just subordinate ancillary you know background to kaladin they are important in their relation to Kaladin, for sure. But they are their own people. They are their own characters, and they have their own struggles, and they have their own backgrounds, and 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 they don't approach being a bridgeman the same way Kaladin does. Nor do they all approach it the same way Rock does, or Dunny, or mm. Teft, or Sigzil, or Moash, you know, like or Scar, it, or Drake. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really cleverly done how Brandon uses Kaladin as like a focal point. For bridge four and then having the interactions with one or two of the bridgemen at a time build up the bridge group around him yeah no we we got we got rock's story or at least the reason mm -hmm. he became a bridgeman at the near the end of the, our reading for this part and uh it was a hilarious story even even it's i think it says something really to the the sanderson's ability to establish these characters when we get a story like rocks so early in the narrative but we have all of the context necessary to appreciate just how audacious and how hilarious 
what Rock did to earn his place as a Bridgman was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's something <laughs> I forget about. I think every time, like I, I remember the shard bearer, you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I like this chapter about, could be like, called him Chaldung, You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so ridiculous, but. Mm. Um. Anything but else about yeah, Kaladin? So, no, I, I think that's that's it for Kaladin for now. Cool. Um, obviously, you're gonna have much more to talk about in later episodes. But. Yeah. Oh, I so badly wanted to to, to jump on all those different uh, the bridgemen too, and how they, as you were to put it, interpret their position as a bridgeman and going forward. And I just oh, I can't say everything I want to say yet because, of yeah. course, I would need the spoiler gloves taken off. But there's a lot that I was rumbling about there that I was really, really hoping I could say. But for now, we can move on. Uh, Dalinar? Might as well? Sure. The, okay. and, I quote, and, and I wrote this down, the badassest badass to ever ass bad? I love this guy. Uh, <laughs> we get to talk about someone that may be my favorite character of all time. And I wish I could have a dollar for every time that I point out my potential favorite of anything ever. You know, I must have pointed out my favorite one-liner by now, my favorite scenes, my favorite opening lines of all time, my favorite characters, of course, in each separate series. But Dalinar Colin may legitimately be my favorite f***ing character of all time. And even though we don't really have a lot of context for who he is just yet, there's still something about this unrivaled warrior turned nightmarish tyrant turned sorrowful and repentant king, for lack of a better word, that strikes me, you know, deep inside. If you had told me during my teenage years that my favorite character would be a middle-aged man in his 50s, I would have laughed. Granted, Dalinar has the physique of a, of a man much younger than he currently is. <laughs> so we have everything that we need, I think, in Dalinar Colin for an incredibly engaging character. He is one who is still capable of fantastic action. We see him in Shardplate, we see him at war fighting the Parshendi, but he also has enough history and context of himself to look back at his life and suffer from his past mistakes. And so I find him to be incredibly engaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I, I talked earlier about you know, being kind of frustrated with with his chapters, but it, it was just in relation to the rest of the book. If you take his story in a vacuum, it is very compelling. It is, uh, it's new, it's foreign. Uh, the way Brandon built the Voran culture around, well, the Voran religion and the culture around that religion, as well as the Alethi culture and how they intersect and Dalinar's unique place in it, and how he has to navigate all of these different but related issues as well as you know dealing with the specter of his past which you know we don't we don't really know much about his past but nonetheless his past looms over him everybody constantly talks about you're not the same anymore you've lost your edge you're you know it's it's a a, a time where opinion is shifting uh i think the words i used in in my synopsis were, were contempt and scorn you know where where people who once respected him now insult him to his face that kind yeah. of a thing 
And, yeah, and it's something. It's there's something to be said about the fact that they are telling him a that he is not the same anymore, and b they are using it to mock him. It says a lot about Alethi society that we we see Dalinar. We're in his head. We can see how reasonable he is, but they are still telling him you're not the same anymore. You have changed, and that is bad. Because for all we know, like uh, in again in a vacuum, him not being the same anymore could very well be a good thing. And Obviously, we, with context for the future, we know it's a good thing. But the state of mind that the Alethi elite is in at this point in time on Roshar, it's very, very much a bad thing. It's something to be mocked. It's something to be belittled. And there, those are buttons to be pressed, you know? Well, and, and I want to build upon that because if it were just... Um, you know, the, the other light eyes, the, the high princes mocking him saying you're weak now um it would be easy to to take that as being like okay you know Bran is trying to maybe subvert our expectations and and like because they're the bad guys we want to agree with dalinar but maybe it, it really is that it is a problem but the fact that adeline is also involved in this that we're in adeline's point of view we see he's a decent person we're, we're supposed to be rooting for this guy, and he is at, you know, loggerheads with his father. He also sees it as a problem that Dalinar is changing, and that casts a, a lot of uh, doubt on, on whether or not we as readers should be, uh, you know, buying into what everyone else is buying saying. Buying into yeah. it. And, and that's a cool journey for us to go on as as we're gonna you know progress through this book and it's a clever thing that brandon did not having all of his point of view characters just be like cut and dry on the same side like you know we we have internal conflict with each of the point of view characters in this uh including kaladin every time somebody brings up dalinar kaladin's like no no he's not He's not real. He's just as fake as the rest of the Light Eyes. They're all corrupt. You know, and, but we're in Dalinar's point of view, so we know that Dalinar's not corrupt like Sadius is. It's... It, it's really good writing to have three point of view characters that we can root for as heroes who all disagree with each other. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Sanderson goes on. He doesn't. He doesn't just open our open this door into Dalinar's character and 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 introduce him as this incredibly mysterious guy. He's very very unashamed about using Dalinar to give us our first as well as you know the entire Alethi elite to give us our first big action scene. Like you can count Cap like Kaladin in chapter 1 if you like, but it's pretty clearly delivered as a flashback. It's not something that's current, that's pressing. The Chasm Fiend attack in chapter 13 is our first time in the Stormlight Archive that we get this classic Sanderson oh moment where our, our, our main characters are suddenly in danger. Uh, I thought, I mean, I thought, I thought that was awesome. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. I, I know, I know that, uh, that Chasm Fiend hunt, that scene is beloved among the fandom. My mom just I, read that scene. Yeah. I got her reading The Way of Kings. She actually, what, what she's just finished was Dalinar's first flashback, but we're still in part two, so I'm considering this like she's just finished that scene. She's This is her book right here that I'm, that I'm holding in front of me. Whoops, I almost spilled my beer on my phone there. She is at the beginning of chapter 24. 
at the moment. She was supposed to be on, on uh, for part one, but I had asked her to be on for part one, but she wasn't quite ready at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a scene that hits home for a lot of readers. Uh, it's it's exciting. It gives us a good look at the mechanics of some of the like magical items, artifacts in this world. And it's a first crazy look at the the animals. <laughs> yeah, and at Dalinar being a badass in shard plate. Yeah. Like catches it's... the goddamn claws. Pink I can hear it. I can still hear it. It's just oh that, that, that roar scene he gives. does a lot of heavy lifting early in the <laughs> Phrasing included. Phrasing death, included. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, uh, do so you good. have anything else on Dalinar? Yeah, I also want to say that it really says something about Dalinar's character, especially at the very beginning, especially also about Sanderson as a writer, that he gives us a reason to see Dalinar still as vulnerable. At the end of chapter 18, the, uh, like the high storm is inbound, and Dalinar and mm -hmm. Renarin are left galloping as quickly as they can for shelter before Renarin actually has to stop his father and tell him, I'm sorry. Because in this moment of desperation and frenzy, he knows what it'll do to his father for his visions and his apparent insanity to be witnessed by his own soldiers. And, mm -hmm. and going on as well about Dalinar's uh, vulnerability, again, you brought it up just a couple of minutes ago when we're talking about the scene where Adolin confronts him and tells him, look, we cannot base the future of our house on these visions that you're having. I, I I will, I, will, I will not let you run our house into the ground before speaking my mind on it. And he actually steps up to his father and speaks back to him in a way that he had never done before. Yeah. And so, of course, we see, you know, uh, Dalinar obviously really heavily affected by this. So I think it just says really, it really says something to see Dalinar this vulnerable this early, you know? Yes, definitely. That's, you know, that's key character work, right? Yeah. You can't have a, a protagonist point of view character who is perfect, who is unassailable. You need tension to write a compelling story, and this right. provides tension for Dalinar. I guess I'm just remarking on that the fact that the fact that we get both immediately. We don't get mm -hmm. one, and then at the very end we get another, or one even halfway through. It just Dalinar, like at the in the second fifth of this book, that we've had both. In his first part, we've had both already, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, that actually wraps up my character discussions. I was, I wanted to talk about Wit and Navani, but I'm, I'm ready to just riff on those, and even for our miscellaneous points here. Um, oh, uh, do you want to discuss Dalinar's visions real quick? Because, I mean, I don't have anything specifically about them, but I figured they were going to be a big point of, I don't know, discussion. Like, I figured Let's you want to save the vision jump at those. discussion for our spoiler lore segment. Okay. Oh, <laughs> that's actually probably smarter. Okay, yeah. uh, other characters that you want to discuss? Um, just Adeline real quick. Okay. I am struck by how decent a person Adeline is. He's yeah. a little self-centered. He's a little oblivious sometimes, uh, though it's usually written for comedic effect. Uh, this is the kind of humor that I like Brandon Sanderson doing, uh, where where he has this parade of women that he's courting and just like completely bungling and being sort of oblivious to why it's why it keeps failing. And there's an argument to be made here that Adeline is on some subconscious level aware of it and he's purposely sabotaging himself. That that could be, but we sure. you know, we also see these things where you know he's he's talking with the. Uh, 
the leather worker and then going to talk to the artist and and Janelle is like I thought we were going on a walk you know I thought this was gonna be a little more romantic and, and he you know <laughs> has an aside with the art and he's like I, I'm gonna have to buy her something really expensive after this you know and yeah like it's it, it's good humor for me it's the kind of situational humor that I enjoy yes. situational than the humor. very direct Thanks. slapsticky kind of things that that Brandon goes for in a lot of other situations. And so I like that Adeline is a vehicle for that sort of humor. Mm. Well, I agree 150% with everything you just said. Yeah. So like yeah. he's he's got two things going on, right? He's he's a decent man. He's he is his father's son. He's upright. He's he's got a moral code, which just from these few chapters in part 2, we see a lot of Alethi don't really have much of a great moral code. Yeah. Um <clears throat> it's and, a very nebulous thing in that elite society. Yeah, and and Adeline has one. Even though he doesn't necessarily agree with his father and his father's interpretation of morality and what is right and wrong, he at least recognizes on some level that there are good and bad actions and that and that he he tries to live a good life. Um and then on the other side of things, like I said, he's funny. He's fun to read. He's entertaining. Yeah. Well he absolutely is. And I just, I can't wait to talk about him more, and, uh, not just in, in, in future parts, but especially in future novels. Mm-hmm. He really gets mm-hmm. to breathe into the character. I hope that's not a spoiler to say there, but, oh, it's, it's he's going to be uh, somebody who's really, really fun to return to discussing again and again and again. He's, he's, I mean, he's young, he's full of life, he's, we don't even know yet how good he is at, 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 we don't really quite have a full idea yet. And when we see that, it's going to be really fun to talk about, uh, but yeah. I mean, yeah, Adolin we, Colin, we may you know. need to censor, cut out a little bit of that. But yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> just a little um, bit. Yeah. So, shall we move into like miscellaneous stuff before we do lore? I'm down for it. Okay. Because <clears throat> you said you wanted to talk about Wit and Navani. Oh well, yeah. I, I mean, I had written them down as potential points for discussion, but I didn't write down anything specific about them. I was going to just mostly oh, okay. give you the opportunity to yeah, riff on those well, if you wanted to. Sure, I. I will say on the topic of humor. Okay. Don't yep. love wit's humor. Yep. 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 The it's of of all of the like insults he throws around, and there are a lot of them in this part. I got a chuckle out of maybe a quarter of them. Really? Uh, some of them just really didn't land for me. The, oh, the hold on. Did I, you say you liked it or you didn't like it? I liked a quarter of. Oh my god, I think your voice must have cut out right when you said your original statement, because I thought you said you really like his humor. I was like, yep, 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 sorry. I love Wit's humor. That's why I was agreeing with there. I just wanted to... He... he, It's one of those moments where I feel Brandon Sanderson's authorial hand very heavily on the text. And that is not necessarily a good thing, um, because it feels like he's trying too hard. Uh, The one that I always roll my eyes at is is when he's talking with Sadius and he's talking about like oh well my job is to throw yeah, around okay. insults and your job is to be in sluts and I'm like no yeah <laughs> that just yeah, okay. that doesn't work okay, that's I'm fair. sorry um, that's fair it, because because of two things this isn't English this is being translated into English so that joke is predicated on Alethi having the same letters and insults and in sluts being it's built of the same letters 
pun not intended. As in English. Like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a forced pun, and it's not even a good pun. Like, I, I'm peeved by that. But Okay, um, <clears throat> I will say that I absolutely love Wit and pretty much everything that he says to everybody <laughs> all the time. But I actually agree with you, Drew, on the forced and transparent nature of that original in sluts pun. And I also don't don't I don't really like that one either. But this is this again, let's let's put this into context. This is a ten year old book. And this might have even been a, a line that was written a decade before that, you know. Uh, everything else that Hoyd says, every goddamn phonetic syllable out of that man's face is gold, and I love it. Especially when he's at uh, the, the feast and he's just insulting nobles as they arrive. Like, I mean, I, I love it. You say you like about a quarter of it. I'd say I love 99% of it. Yeah, I, and were... for... Okay. So you said about that you are you feel a listen to me saying wit we might have to censor about three or four hoids there i don't know how many times i've been saying that so far but you said his humor feels very forced and you said uh, everything you said about wit i kind of feel about i hope that's not too much of a spoiler this early in, in the narrative it probably uh, is. yeah we'll we'll because we haven't met him yet oh yeah we haven't met him yet have we yeah i feel that about the lopen but i i don't feel that about Wit. I actually love, and for some reason, I, I I can't think of why because it has all of the uh, all the trappings of the kind of humor that I hate. Yeah, definitely. It, I might, agree it might just be because that. of my context. I know more about wit as a character than I should at this point as a first time reader. But I don't know. I just it doesn't bother yeah. me. It should, but it doesn't. Okay, I mean, this is definitely a matter of taste, and I'm yeah, that's, certainly I that's more critical of this kind of thing than a lot of readers to. are, so I, I recognize that I, I probably have a a very unpopular opinion on that. Uh, Not very, but maybe somewhat. But as far as Navani goes... Okay, yes. I, are you... Are you sorry, go I, ahead. The first time I read this book, when I first met Navani, I didn't like her at all. It's beautiful, um, great, by the way. Yeah. I, I wanted to be, like on Dalinar's side and the way Dalinar treats her as a threat right away and there's one specific line when he's considering Navani and he says unlike Yasna it was hard to trust Navani oh and that always stuck with me and I was like you know that that's a that's a pretty powerful statement you know uh that's a that's a judgment of character right there and wow. and on rereads, I'm more confused by that than anything. I, uh, you know, like, especially as that scene progresses and, and you know, as, as Dalinar admits to himself things about her, it almost reads to me as if him saying, like, I can't trust her because I can't trust myself with her. He's like, I need to be the proper... Yeah you know, brother-in-law here. I, I have to treat her as my sister. I can't give in to my feelings about her. <laughs> and yeah, with no, Yasna, that's not a that's not a concern. He's like, oh yeah, she's my niece. She has like there there are no questions about who Yasna is in Dalinar's life. There are questions about Navani. He's clearly attracted to her. He was clearly attracted to her in the past. And then she married his brother. And now that his brother's dead, he's like, okay, exactly. 
I don't know how to act in this situation. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll admit that when you when you brought up the line where he specifically thinks about the fact that he, it, unlike Yasna, it's hard to trust Navani, I actually still don't remember that line. Like, I, I believe that, that it happened. But for some reason, I haven't stopped and zeroed in on it and actually contemplated that. And as, like you said, following... For the next minute of you of you talking there, I was thinking, how the hell did I miss that? And, wh- and what the hell is going on here? Because I, again, like you, have future context enough to be confused by that line. Uh, but I it's, think also it's important to note, as you were as you went on there, I realized I think it's also important to note that this specifically is the Navani that left him for Dalinar after leading them both on, and he doesn't have a lot more context for her past that yet. Yeah, so the full quote is, you know, she eyed him. Was she testing mm-hmm. his loyalty? Much like her daughter, Navani was a political creature. Intrigue made her blossom like a rock bud in calm, wet air. However, unlike Yasna, Navani was hard to trust. At least with Yasna, one knew where, excuse me, where one stood. Once again, Dalinar found himself wishing she'd put aside her projects and return to the Shattered Plains. So he he's really putting her in opposition with Ayazna in this in this moment. I think we're reading too much into it. I don't maybe, I don't think maybe. I think so. <laughs> it's just one of those lines that really leapt out at me. Sure. Yeah, and now that you mention it, I'm going to be looking at that a little more too. So, but um, I still think we're we might be reading too much into it. There's a there's a distinct possibility that's the case. <laughs> This is what happens, though. This this is Brandon Sanderson. This is what he does to you. you <laughs> oh my God! So much. Yes. That you start picking apart the word, like, the second, letter that by letter. Line is that line is weird, or that line is is particularly powerful, or or particularly poignant. Yeah. I need to dig into that. Like, <laughs> I had a couple of those on on the Hero of Ages Part Two, I think, where, yeah, where yeah. a very specific word choice made me stop and go, "Now this is probably nothing, but." Right. But it's yeah. Brandon Sanderson, so you can never just dismiss it as nothing. nothing. <laughs> right. you, nothing is has the potential of zero. Give it due consideration. <laughs> well, as long as due consideration oh. is given. Anyway, um, I'm ready to take off the spoiler gloves and go into our miscellaneous Cosmere points. Yes, I, I think it's about that time. Okay, now. So let's take off our gloves and jump right into spoilers for our, uh, our Cosmere-wide connections here. Is there anything you want to open up with? I have... Probably four things to talk about. I'll give you the chance to start first, though. Go ahead, dude. We're going to start with the start of this section, the Ishik interlude. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. So at this point, um, I I anticipate that most of our listeners are aware of what's going on in in this interlude. Uh, You know, this book has been out for 10 years. If you've been poking around in the forums and things, uh, you've probably seen this discussion come up. You know who these three foreigners are um, in the Pure Lake who are looking for Hoyd. But in case you're a new reader, in case you're, you're somebody who's uh, maybe not delved quite so deeply into the Cosmere lore, uh, they are familiar characters. Our, our three friends in the Pure Lake, we are given the names Grump, Blunt, and Thinker. <laughs> Thinker is Mr. Demu from Mistborn Era 1. Grump is Galadon from Elantris. 
and Blunt is Bayon from White Sand. And uh, yeah, this is this is the first time. This is a, a watershed moment in the Cosmere because in terms of publication, this is the first time we have a a really overt crossover Easter egg. Characters other than Hoyd, because he's in everything. Yep. But characters other than Hoyd showing up on a different world in a different series from where they originally appeared. This is a, a signpost. The Stormlight Archive is not going to be like Mistborn. It's not going to be like Warbreaker. It's not going to be like Elantris. Big things are happening in the background that are attracting people from across the whole Cosmere. And the significance not only of these characters you know, being in the Stormlight Archive, but the fact that there are three characters from three different worlds in three different series tells you the, the events on Roshar right now are of import to the entire Cosmere. It's not three characters from Mistborn. It's not three characters from Elantris. It's one from Mistborn, one from Elantris, one from White Sand. Hmm. So this is this is a big red flag that Brandon Sanderson is subtly dropping in our laps. You know, saying, look, you got used to what I was doing in my earlier books. Get ready to take the next step with me. And I <laughs> it's another love open it for door. That. I love it for that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I had originally written down something to talk about with Ishik, and most, I would say all of it, you've just discussed there. Um, I had written that down to talk about in The Way of Kings Part 1 when I thought we were going to be talking about those interludes in context with that part. Um, so I, I just opened up my file to check if I had anything else to say about Ishik and that whole viewpoint, but you pretty much nailed everything I had to talk about. Okay, um, yeah. Oh, oh, damn it, there is still... Oh, you know what, I just thought of another one that I actually didn't write down. There's still the, the mythology presented in Ishik's viewpoint about the Pure Lakers and their mythology and their okay. gods, Von Macaac and New Rollick. Is there anything you want to play with in that so, area? We can. Uh, okay. But I want to preface this with the fact that somebody a few years back asked Brandon Sanderson if there is a substantial connection between the Pure Lakers religion with uh, New Rollick and Von Macaac and Trelogism on Scadrial with Trell and Nalt. They are both religions that have a a theme of like a jealous brother, yep, sibling rivalry. Yeah. Um. There. There's a. Yeah. There. They have similar skeletons in in like the religious. Um. What's the What's the word I'm looking for? Um. Oh my gosh. It's on the tip of my tongue. I, it's not like religious canon, but yeah, you know what I mean. In, yeah, in the, yeah, in the beliefs. Um, however, Brandon said no. There is not a connection there, and apparently, the the annotation. If you go and look this up on on Arcanum, uh, again, listeners, if you're not familiar with the Arcanum, first off, you're missing out, and if you really want to go lose, like, eight or nine hours of your day just, like, going down an inescapable hole of Cosmere lore, it is wob.arcanum.net no, .coppermine.net, right? 
Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've actually typed um, that in because I just have it bookmarked. Yeah, it's, it's I can't Bob. Say I frequented Yeah. It's wob.coppermind.net. And this is a wonderful resource. It is extremely easy to navigate, a searchable database of basically every recorded question and answer Brandon Sanderson has given across. I've been wondering where the hell you're drawing all of these from. Live streams, just uh, I find it, some on Seventeenth Shard. I some I find some spread across Facebook groups. But I don't and on Reddit, but this is where you're getting them from. Yeah. Okay. Um, there are I mean thousands of question and answer entries on here. The uh, the particular one about um, the religions here is interesting because it has an annotation about uh, Brandon's reaction to it. Uh, so the question was, is there a link between Trell and Nalt from Mistborn and New Relic and Voon Makik from Stormlight? And he said, no, there isn't, maybe just tenuously. And there's a, there's a note under it that said, he, he seemed confused that I asked that. Okay. Okay, that's fair. I mean, that yeah. could just be ask or interpretation, but it's also very fair that it's like, yeah, he was, Brandon was in that moment going, wait, wait what? <laughs> huh. Yeah, it, I find it interesting that it had that little annotation because... It oh, almost man, makes me playing. wonder. It almost makes me wonder if Brandon misheard the question, or or maybe he's a brilliant actor as well as a brilliant or wasn't author. Uh, uh, didn't have it in his mind right away, and and so he misinterpreted it. Because I feel like if he knew exactly, like if he was in the moment on top of that, like I don't know why you would be confused about that question because there are very clear parallels between the religions, right? Yeah. So. It, that that is a very interesting word of Brandon for me, because yeah. it's pretty definitive. He's like, no, there's there's he's like maybe like a tiny little bit, but like, but the fact that he was confused about it, I, I think know. in my for myself, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pretend that I also believe Brandon is also a brilliant actor as well as a brilliant author. No, I I think he was maybe that sounds almost scripted like he had prepared for a question like that and, and, and had his response ready. I don't know, man. You can never you can never rule everything out. You can't do it. So, Brandon, I will say Brandon doesn't lie in his answers. He'll he'll oh, no. give There's no lie he'll there. give eyes to die answers. Yeah. But but when he just doesn't want you to know, he'll raffo it. So, I don't know. That I'm that that particular word of Brandon is an an enigma to me. Hmm. Let's talk about the letter. Oh, can we talk about yes. the letter? We can do that Let's now. Finally, talk about the letter. Oh my god, what a cool concept this is! Brandon's having so much fun now with his epigraphs that it just it brings a stupid childish grin to my own face here. Not only are these super cool and badass and and downright intimidating in number these being the epigraphs as a whole obviously he, but he, he here he's getting to play around with them he's splitting up the types of in world or in this case out of world texts that let him oh. <laughs> tease us in any way he feels like teasing us so i just 
It's it's great. I, I love it. Let, let, should we talk about the contents, or is there something you want to jump onto right away? It's just killing me, because... Yeah, I figured it was. I heard that noise. I heard that noise that you just made. So, wondering so about it. For, for anybody out there who is... Uh, uh, who has at any point felt jealousy toward the beta readers for you know getting to you son of a bitch you know read read Brandon Sanderson's books early? It is such a double-edged sword because I I need I, I my soul burns to discuss the epigraphs in Rhythm of War and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I'm reading things like the letter in part two of the way of Kings, you know, because there's a letter or, or letters in every single stormlight book. And this is just like, it, it's one of the cleverest and most evil things Brandon Sanderson has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know what? I, I will say, I will go, I'll do you one better. It's not a double-edged sword. It, it goes one step further. It's a triple-edged sword, if that's even possible. It is now. Just deal with it. Because I'm sitting here trying to, you know, discuss The Way of Kings, part two, and the, the letter here. As a longtime Sanderson fan. But I'm also listening to somebody who has read this, and I can't know what the hell it is. And I have to listen to this all the time. <laughs> I try very hard love not it. to not to bring it on to our podcasts, but I will say it's going to get harder and harder. Uh, as no, we listen, move I love this kind Storm of Light archive. Like, I do. Oh man, it's because even from the get go, I mean, when the Wave Kings came out, and we had these letters, yeah, not many people knew about the Cosmere at the time, and the knowledge among the people who did know about it, that knowledge base was fairly small. And so this particular letter uh, contained a lot of mysteries for a long time. Now, you know, we figured out every bit of the letter. I mean, every, every bit of the letter. Uh, have we? Because I have a question about that going forward. Sorry, you finish what you're going to say, but I do have one to ask at the end of this. Okay, well... In, in that initial moment, when the Way of Kings first landed, there was so much enjoyment and theorization about what is going on in this letter. Because, you know, like, it, it just... It didn't... It didn't make sense for a lot of people. It didn't fit. Because there was so much of an unknown. There were so many aspects of the Cosmere that we didn't even have contextual information for. And we had to very meticulously piece it together. I remember being involved in, in a comment thread on Tor.com when they were doing their Way of Kings reread and they did a, a specific post on the letter. And, and this comment thread was uh, well over 100 comments long. And it was the, the point where we figured out that Hoyd was writing to a dragon. Yeah. I it was, that, you know, and and uh, there was a, a signing, a Brandon Sanderson signing that night, and somebody in the thread was like, uh, "I'm not gonna be there, but my my cousin is nearby. I can like send her or whatever." I I don't remember exactly what it was because this is years ago now. Yeah, yeah. But 
but he he engineered it so that Brandon got asked that night and and the report back was yes but not only yes Brandon was like surprised yeah. that people figured it out he was so surprised he didn't even bother raffoing it or trying to beat around the bush he was just like impressed he's like how did you put that together? Like, <laughs> I remember that. I remember when you messaged me that because we had just met. This was like later in 2010, wasn't it? Oh no, this was this was well well after that. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. This was uh, Way of Kings reread. Uh, uh, let me let me look it up. It was it was a few years ago, but it was, was it not long immediately. It was not immediately after the book came out. Oh, wow. Um, epigraphs to part two. Uh, so this was August 2013. Oh, my God. Yeah. This would have been right before Steelheart came out. And it, it like looks like there were, that. there were 73 comments on this. I remember uh, you messaging me that day. <laughs> Oh, wait a second. Um, this may not even be the same thread. I don't know. It, anyway, it, it certainly wasn't... Um, it certainly wasn't right away after after the book the came book out. book came out? Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what is your question about the... Yeah, the you said we've had every single uh, answer much, yeah. that we need out of... The, what is the element... The element is Lurassium. It is the bead of Lurassium that Hoyd took from the Well of Ascension. We know that. I've heard that postulated, yes. but we know that? We have that confirmed? It, yes, it was confirmed by Brandon. Oh. Damn, I fig that, that's kind of disappointing. I figured it was something like larger even than, than Lurassium could have been. Okay. Uh, let me let me pull up the word of Brandon real quick. He, he protects <laughs> its safety. He doesn't necessarily protect it. He protects its safety. And then he likens it to himself, as I protect my own skin, you might say. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, the Rhythmatist Provo signing. Um, Rhythmatist? So this is that long ago? Yeah, this is June 3, 2013. Oh, my God. Um, I've been out of the loop for seven years. Yeah. On the element? Yep. Damn. Yeah, that, okay. that was one of the first clues kind of cracked. Uh, yeah, so... So how, uh, how does Frost signing, know that Hoyd uh, has Lorassium? The... So... Uh, have you read The Traveler? Once... Once. It's it's so short, right? And I think I read yeah. it like two, three years Hoyd, ago. Hoyd went back to Yolen and talked to Frost right after the events of Mistborn, so presumably there he told Frost about the bead. Oh, God, I have to read this again. But uh, So the, the question was, Hoyd clearly has a habit for taking important items. He has the bead of Lorassium and the element. What other items does he have that we should know about? And it says, Brandon's response was that the bead and the element are the same. Oh, my God. Okay. Eureka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, let's see here. Uh, blah, 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 yeah, blah. I have a, I have a few more. No, notes. okay. So you go ahead first. I have a few more here, but I'll give you the chance. Um, let's see. 
<laughs> Which one do I even want to do? I mean, some of these are very, very uh, minor, like this one. Uh, when Wit and Dalinar are talking at the feast, and, and Dalinar kind of, like, has some clever wordplay back at Wit, and he's like, you know... He's like, because you blow so much air, because you make so much noise, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And Wit's like, you know, maybe I should make you Wit, then I could be a high prince instead. No, that would be bad. I'd go mad after a mere second of listening to them, then would likely slaughter the lot. Perhaps appoint Kremlings in their places. The kingdom would undoubtedly fare better. Yep. Kremlings? Kremlings in particular. Kremlings yeah. in yeah. particular. That's he that's totally a reference to him being like making making a, a veiled joke about uh installing the sleepless as high princes. Or maybe particular Kremlings instead of Kremlings in particular, because not all Kremlings are sleepless. Maybe I mean, sh- right? It's well, possible. That's, he was just talking about it's double speak. It's double speak. Yeah, I know. He, he has I... two meanings there. He's playing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, I also made a note of this that Ishi Ishar is the herald of luck, and I found that interesting. Is he really? Yeah. Uh, there's there's a uh, when he's retrieving the bundles of weeds, he says, mm-hmm. Ishi, Herald of Luck, be praised. Now, I think there is a potential um, connection here, pun very much intended with a capital oh, C. Oh, nice. L- like, luck, fortune, is a spiritual attribute. And bondsmiths, as we've seen, can manipulate spiritual connection. So I'm wondering if there's some... Uh, some aspect of like the resonance of bondsmith surges or or even just their particular kind of spiritual adhesion that they can influence or engage with fortune as well as connection and maybe as well as identity and we've already seen they can engage with investiture which is the fourth spiritual attribute because Dalinar can open a perpendicularity like there's I think there may be something there I've never heard. I, I've never stopped and and paid attention to the actual phrasing of Herald of Luck, and it would give us another point of reference to like within which to place Fortune, this capital F that we've had that we've only seen as far as I know in the Cosmere from Secret History, right? Um, I, Secret History was the f- first time for sure. I don't know. Have we it's... seen Fortune since Secret History? I don't know. Um, let me... I mean, I'm already on referenced in, in words of Brandon about how Hoyd knows precisely when and where to be. Uh, I mean, there are references on the... I think. The, oh, no. Uh, it's, it it's is in so Oathbringer. Yeah, it's in Oathbringer. Uh, because... Uh, um, oh, does Odium oh reference it? Odium does, yeah. When he's talking, God, about okay, about got the diagram. you. Yeah, he's he's uh, Odium's like surprised that he made the diagram without using fortune or having yes. access to the spiritual realm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So. Awesome. So yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. I actually, I, I really quickly want to discuss Sadius, not as a character, but as a as a plot point. Um, I want to draw this quick point to talk about. 
you know, this thing that Sanderson does that's very deft with some of his characters, and that is his knack for providing us here with Toral Sadius, an easy designation for how you feel about certain characters before he flips them on your head. It wasn't until a few rereads in that I realized how cleverly Brandon managed to subvert our expectations about the characters of Toral Sadius, at least at the beginning here. Mm -hmm. He's immediately exhibited as this slimy, self-centered, eel of a man. And normally we'd expect, if anything, we're going to change our minds, it's going to be near the end of the book. But Sanderson does us one better. He gives us the slimy Sadius, but then he immediately flips it on us in chapter 15. From Adolin's viewpoint, as Dalinar and Sadius are discussing the manipulation of High Prince uh, Vama, Vama, I don't know how you mm -hmm. pr uh, pronounce that one in particular. Vama. Vama. Okay, awesome. Dalinar reveals to Adolin, and in doing so, he's, he's revealing to us, the reader, right here that Sadius was the decoy on the night that Gavilar died, and he was willing to face a shard bearer, a surge binder in, in the place of his king. Like, goddamn, if that didn't immediately neutralize my suspicion of Sadius, even if it didn't, like, assuage my hatred of the man, it <laughs> immediately neutralized my suspicion, and I think that's important. It's such a neat way, I think, to manipulate the opinion of new readers and it's for moments like these that with uh, if you're like me like we're legitimately taken aback by Sadius's betrayal at the end of this book you're left as a reader going why am I so horrified by this why am I surprised at all and then here you are 10 years later realizing how expertly Brandon managed to brew your opinion of that man from the get-go when yeah. you're given both the good and the bad you can you can kind of assume you can form a, an accurate opinion of that character, but not so with Toral Sadius. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Sweet. And on, on the note of characters and, and future Stormlight spoilers, not so much uh, Cosmere things, I also made note of uh, Novani talking about uh, Esuden. And, you know, like, wife? I, yeah. I thought you were, like, staying back in in uh in Kolinar to like kind of watch over her and make sure things were in hand she's like oh no she's learned enough she's got it under control there and not so not only did she very much not have it under control but Navani mm. dodged a huge bullet because Navani oh, she would did, be, didn't she Navani would be dead like she she would have been dead if she stayed in Kolinar yeah she would have been you know consumed she, by like, one of Aesodin's prime targets her biggest threats right uh, well, she would have been consumed by the heart of the rebel. Asher. Oh, Arthur. well, that okay. Well, I figured maybe like yeah. Asudan would have done something before then. Even who knows? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. Um, Do you think no, she's I capable don't... of that, or is she just? No, I don't think. I don't think she had the the like the cleverness to do it. You don't think somebody would have manipulated exactly her like into the... that to sow yeah, chaos? I... No, like that wasn't really the issue in. In Kolinar. The issue in Kolinar was a Sudan is pretty incompetent and the unmade moved in. <laughs> Several unmade, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three. Speaking of the unmade. Three of them. Speaking yes. of the unmade, which one of those did Zeph get from Gavilar? Do we know? Said I ask of Drew, who is taking a large chug of his beer as if he needs to prepare himself for this answer. Um... Brandon has been asked on many occasions about that gem. 
Yep. And he has refused to either uh, give an answer on which unmade or even if it's one of the unmade. Even if it's one of the unmade. I mean, we see that it's void light. Because if... I mean, there there's some crazy implications there. If that's one of the unmade, then Gavilar had, like, three of them. Cause At he least. Had, he had multiple of these gems. We only know for sure of one unmade that was captured, and that was Ba'ado Mishrem. So, if, if those gems are unmade, that means somehow Gavilar captured, like, a bunch of the unmade. Which would be pretty crazy. Yeah, but why else would and it be so I think, noticeably a void light? I mean, uh, there are void spren. Can you capture just regular old void speed? I'm sure you can actually capture regular I mean, it, old void it spren. It could have been just void light in it. Hmm. Then why would he be... T- <laughs> I don't understand. Uh... Why it would be his 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 final moments and his final his final moves to get rid of this particular gem and give it to his assassin of all people? Yeah. Mm. Um, oh well. Uh, I that that's a read and find out for sure. That's a read and find out. Uh, now I'm starting to look at your face really intently and start to figure out if this may be a rhythm of war read and find out, at least for more context. But don't answer that. I won't. Don't do that. I'm ready to go into the final draft. Uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to go into the final draft as well. Cool. All right. So I brought on two today. Did so you? So know? I'll, I'll start with one and then you okay. do one and I'll do my second. Sounds good. So the one I'm drinking right now is an American Pale Ale from Four Noses Brewing Company in Colorado. <laughs> one of the odds. Uh, I've, I've brought... I th- think one or two beers on from four noses before yeah i was looking at the spreadsheet today and i was like four noses that's an interesting name yeah um they're they're a good brewery they're they're one of those i mean one of like you know the 385 breweries in colorado now um but they're they're good they do good stuff they don't have like a national footprint or, or they're not really in the hype game but they make solid beer and this one is no different like I said, it's an American pale ale brewed with Simcoe hops. So this one is pretty piney. Um, like, like definitely uh, for for an American pale ale, um, very hop forward, pretty piney. Not a ton of like, uh, not a ton of citrus notes. Like maybe maybe a tiny hint of grapefruit, but but it is tasty. It's enjoyable. And this one is a, a little meta. Uh, it, it, it applies to several characters in this part. And it is Hear the Calling. Hear the Calling. Okay. 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 I can appreciate we have, that. We have Adeline, you know, struggling with his calling of dueling. Yeah, we have Dalinar hearing a calling through the visions to unite them. We oh, have... I to bring up Unite Them. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, so so you know there there's uh there are a few applications, but this one is definitely a little more meta, which is why I brought a second beer on. So nice. All right. What are you drinking though? So my final draft entry comes from the local liquor store, and you know I was idly browsing in pre- in preparation for this episode. I couldn't find anything particularly meta or hilarious or anything funny really, but I found one in particular, a brew that comes from Oshawa, Ontario. 
that I figured was uh-huh. worthy for this week. This is a honey brown lager. Uh, I, I just finished the last sip of it about uh, 15 minutes ago. I think we were just wrapping up our discussion on uh, Navani. And, you know, it, it's okay. For, for a honey brown lager, it was very, very dark. I mean, I poured it into the glass. It looked like I was drinking a rum and coke. Um, but when I was when I was browsing, then the name really struck me. And I was considering Kaladin and this new path that he's decided to walk. We have these moments where Kaladin is in bed in the morning. He's waking up, and he's contemplating whether or not to get up at all. Especially one moment in Part 2 when he, when he can tell that the other bridgemen are waiting to see if he's going to keep up his routine, to see if he's going to keep his word. This one is called, and I'll hold it up here, Snooze You Lose. Ah, oh, nice. Very nice. Snooze You Lose from All or Nothing Brewhouse in Oshawa, Ontario. And I mean, it's okay. You know, honey brown lager. A little sweet, a little caramelly. Um, nothing particularly special. I wouldn't, like, say it's a great beer or anything, but it's not too bad. Sure, sure. Oshawa, of course, home to uh, a a big-time major junior hockey team. Yeah. As I feel like most cities of any size in Ontario are. <laughs> I don't think about Oshawa as a big city in Ontario, Honestly, well, well, of of reasonable size. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because there's okay. the like the Ontario Hockey League is one of the three it's, major it's junior big. hockey leagues in oh, Canada. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there there are lots of Ontario towns and cities that have teams. But, uh, but yeah, so my second beer is from a brewery in Denver, Colorado which our listeners are probably very familiar with at this point. This is another from True Brewing Company. (laughs) They just continue to make beers that have great names for the podcast. Um, It is a pale ale, like Here the Calling was, although I think True's beer is is significantly better. This is a, a stunningly good pale ale. As far as I'm concerned, it's not my favorite style in the world, but I really enjoyed this. It's brewed with citra and mosaic hops, so it has a little more of the fruity kind of hop character instead of that really piney stuff that Simcoe can give. But on top of that, it's it's really dry and biscuity, not super hop forward, nicely balanced, just altogether refreshing. And this is the beer for what Dalinar has to deal with in this part. And that oh is boy. Scorn. Oh, I, that was so subliminal. Again, you, you even drew the actual words back as a quote earlier in the episode. You said, what, I hatred did. and scorn or mocking and scorn? I did. Something like that. Uh, contempt. Contempt, contempt and, and scorn. scorn, you clever bastard, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very so, nice. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to stop uh, like, like <laughs> listening to your words as a flow, and I'm going to start picking them apart, and I'm going to wait for emphases <laughs> in particular words that don't feel like they belong, and I'm going to try and guess the names of future brews before you crack <laughs> them up. Uh, it, you may be able to. But Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't always do that, but occasionally, occasionally. Um, but yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of our episode. I think so as well. And this has been episode 80 now. You got it. Episode 80. Of the Inking Out Loud. Man, we have we have come a long way. Uh, 
next up, uh, we're continuing with The Way of Kings. We'll be doing part three and the second set of interludes. Uh, I, I believe that's Risen, Axes, and another More Zeth set. interlude. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so that's about, you know, another like third of the book-ish. And, uh, and just as a reminder, after that, we'll be doing parts four and five and the remaining interludes and epilogue all in one episode, because part five in The Way of Kings is very short. It's like yep. 30, 35 pages long. Um, you know, if you want to support the podcast, if you appreciate what we're doing, check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, we have several different tiers on there. You can get access to a bunch of bonus material. Uh, we've... We've been struggling a little bit to keep up with it this summer just because, uh, on my end, I've been dealing with some, some family upheaval. Uh, we had a death in the family, and, and it's been uh, an adventure keeping everything straight and, and on time. But, uh, but generally speaking, you know, we have a newsletter out on the first of the month. We have um, short fiction written by either Rob or myself in the middle of the month, and then we do a monthly bonus episode at the end. And uh, if you check out the higher tiers, we have other other benefits there you can take a look at. As always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>